Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Brooke Masters. Joining me in the studio today is Daniel Schaefer, investment banking correspondent, and Jennifer Thompson, retail banking correspondent. This week, we'll discuss two long-awaited reports, the Parliamentary Commission on Banking Standards, which accused the HBOS executives of presiding over a colossal failure, and the SALT's review of culture and values at Barclays. We'll also take a look ahead to the U.S. bank results, which start on Friday, and what they might tell us both about the U.S. banks and the broader industry. First, let's tackle HBOS and the SALT's report. Former executives at HBUS have been in the spotlight this past week because the Parliamentary Commission on Banking Standards issued a report lambasting them over their conduct prior to the 2008 financial crisis. Meanwhile, Anthony Salt's long-awaited review of Barclays' culture and values found the bank should lower its pay levels because they were warped and end the entitlement culture. Jenny is our expert on all of this. And so why don't you tell us, first of all, what's up with HBUS? How bad were they? It was pretty bad. I mean, in some ways, the report didn't tell us something that we didn't already know, because, of course, HBOS collapsed spectacularly in 2008. Its assets were then folded into Lloyd's. And since then, its former management, notably Lord Stevenson, the former chairman, Sir James Crosby and Andy Hornby, the former chief executives, have been criticised roundly by lawmakers and in the press for their actions in this. And, of course, Peter Cummings, the former head of the corporate division, was sanctioned by the FSA last year. I mean, what is new really is the level of condemnation that comes out in this report. I mean, there is a round rebuttal of management's defence as to why HBOS went wrong. You know, they've long argued that the dry up in wholesale lending in 2008 crippled the bank and brought it to its knees. What this report is saying is, well, actually, the problem stretched back a lot further than that corporate lending was going completely out of control. It was outstripping deposit growth. There were massive problems and there were problems with the risk culture at the bank. So in other words, even if the crash hadn't happened in 2008, this bank was still headed for disaster. What's interesting about this report is while we all knew HBOS was a flaming disaster, this is really the first time that anybody's tried to take it to the executives. I mean, unlike Royal Bank of Scotland, where Sir Fred Goodwin, who is no longer Sir Fred, his car and house got attacked by angry protesters. The HBOS people have largely escaped the criticism. Do we think that the personal criticism this time is going to lead to something different happening for them now? At the moment, the jury's still out on that. I mean, I think the explanation for why HBOS executives have got off relatively lightly so far is that, of course, the bank no longer technically exists. And of course, perhaps that's been a problem in assessing the damage that was done. I mean, you know, the commission who was responsible for the report themselves say we estimate it was around 28 billion of capital to prop this thing up but of course those assets are now within Lloyd's portfolio 
There've been some political calls for all three to be banned from working in financial services. In fact, the report itself explicitly calls for a review into, you know, whether or not they could be sanctioned. Vince Cable, the business secretary, went further over the weekend. He wants people to look into whether they can be banned from working in any sector on on any any form of board. Of course, most of them, you know, now have advisory roles except for Peter Cummings, but Andy Hornby still has an executive role. He is the head of Coral, a gambling group which is owned by Gala Coral. So for him, there could be sort of more serious ramifications further down the line. We also obviously have the Financial Conduct Authority. Our new regulator is supposed to be doing its own report on how much the FSA screwed up and also perhaps even more detail into exactly what went wrong. So it seems to me this is a story that's going to be with us for quite a while, right, Jennifer? It certainly is. And the regulator itself did not escape condemnation in this report. I mean, basically, they were saying that the risk controls in the bank were too lax, but the then FSA responsible for looking at it were concentrating either not hard enough or they were looking at other areas and primarily they neglected asset quality, which of course is what brought down the corporate lending division, the really troubled division of HBOS. Compared to HBOS, which was an incredibly strong report, the SALTS report into Barclays seems to have been a bit of a damp squib, if I'm allowed to be a little editorializing here. Do you want to tell us about that? Yeah, certainly. I mean, from an investor point of view, it didn't make a great deal of difference. And again, as with the Age Boss report, it didn't tell us anything that people either didn't already know or, or, or feel intuitively. I mean, the Sols report, this comes after nine months of uh, work by the uh, lawyer, Anthony Sols, was basically saying that the bank's culture led to some of the problems there. In particular, the pay had become warped. It was too high and you know, fed a culture of entitlement. And this in turn had impacted negatively on, on behaviour. Daniel, as the expert on pay, was it really warped pay? Well, that's at least what the source report has found. And, and it sort of chimes with what this sort of anecdotal feeling we got on Barclays hiring aggressively, particularly in Europe in the past few years to build up its capital markets business here. So uh, the report said that the highest paid executive got paid 35% above market rates in some years. So that's a significant increase or a significant gap to the market. The other interesting thing I find is it's a general point about the whole SALTS review, which one could argue, why was it necessary to spend $17 million on a report that tells us everything we already know? And even what Anthony Jenkins, the chief executive, has has already partly implemented in terms of his transform strategy that he announced in February. So quite a lot of the recommendations have actually already been picked up upon two months before they were published. So the question is, why was it necessary to conduct 600 interviews and spend 17 million of shareholders' money for that? I suppose Barclay's response to that would probably be that this report was announced before Mr. Jenkins took over the bank in, in August last year. And of course, you know, at that time, it was very traumatic for the bank after the LIBOR settlement to say we are going to have this independent report coming in, you know, was clearly a very important step for them. But obviously, as Daniel's just said, in the interim, sort of the actual events of the bank have, have overtaken these somewhat. Well, 17 million must have been a, a nice thing for Mr. Saltz and his gang. Good work if you can get it. 
I guess the other banks have to be hoping they don't have to do anything similar. Should we move on to the U.S. bank's results? So who goes first, Daniel, remind me, and what do we think we'll see? It will kick off this week with JP Morgan on Friday and Wells Fargo as well, actually. But people will mostly focus on JP Morgan because it will tell us both something about the U.S. domestic banking market as well as about the investment banking market globally. And in terms of the pure results, they are expected to actually slightly improve their underlying profits per share from $1.19 in 2012 to $1.39 in the first quarter of 2013. Do we know where that's coming from? It's mainly coming from a continuing improvement in the US mortgage market and refinancing of mortgages. But people will watch out for signs of that slowing down, this wave of refinancing. And also a first quarter that is seasonally tends to be very strong in banking and investment banking in particular. And that's because people have deferred things and now do them in the new year? Yeah, people tend to go into the Christmas holidays and they come back with a new balance sheet and they invest in equities or in fixed income. So they start trading again in January. So January is always a very strong month. What's interesting about the first quarter is that it started off with a very good January in terms of the investment banking revenues, but then this boom in January started to wane in February and March. So although it's been a good quarter in terms of general revenues for the market, it's not expected to be the first quarter of 2012, which also doesn't bode well for the remainder of the year and the second quarter in particular. What does this mean for Jamie Dimon? Because we know he's had a rough yeah. couple of months. Yeah, the results on Friday will be pretty crucial, actually, because Jamie Dimon, the, the CEO, He's basically been haunted by two things. One is the whale loss, the big trading loss they had last year, which caused an an investor outcry, but also, more importantly, regulatory investigations, as well as a political debate in the US. And the Senate committee was looking into that and came out with the finding last month, or the allegation, we can say last month, that JP Morgan's management didn't respond quickly enough and that they'd ask questions about the risk management as well as about the disclosure of the trading loss when it first started and basically alleging that the senior management didn't admit to the trading losses as early as they could have done. And the second problem he's facing is looking into the future is next month they'll face another vote on the split of the chairmanship and CEO role. And they had the same vote last year as well. And 40% of investors actually voted in favor of it. So it was quite a significant number of investors being in favor of it. This year, the same proposal has gained more traction in the light of the allegations on the on the whales, mm-hmm. trading loss, and sort of a general feeling that it might, given the, the problems with the risk management, it might be sensible to split the CEO and chairmanship role. So presumably, a not particularly great results will not help Jamie Dimon's yeah. hand. So, you know, if he comes out with really strong surprisingly strong results, then obviously it will help him a lot. Also because some investors are still skeptical about a split of the dual roles, simply because they are afraid that they will scare Jamie Dimon away if they snub him by voting in favor of a split. Because he could say, okay, if you don't want me as chairman and chief executive, or you know, if you don't want me in both roles, then I might not do any of the roles. And he's still seen as one of the best banking executives in the U.S., it's interesting. Do we have a sense whether JP Morgan's results are predictive for the rest of the industry in terms of both the domestic mortgage market and investment banking? Or are there something special about them and that we should watch? 
Well, one thing that's special about them is in investment banking, they're very strong in fixed income and particularly in those areas in fixed income, which have been strong in the first quarter, mortgages, FX and, and structured credit. So they might beat the market actually in the first quarter. So in that sense, they're, they're somewhat special. But most of the underlying trends in the market, we will be able to see at JP Morgan. So equities trading will be presumably slightly lower. Investment banking fees are lower and fixed income, as I said, will be the only bright spot. It sounds like we're looking for a not particularly exciting or happy week for JP Morgan and the rest of the banking industry. That's it for this week. All that's left to do is to thank Daniel and Jennifer for their contributions and you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all the latest banking stories at www.ft.com forward slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Katie Carney. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts.